Good morning. If you'd like to take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of John, we'll be reading from there in just a moment. Book of John, while you're taking your Bibles out and turning there, I'd uh, just like to say how good it is to be here. We um, are glad to be back. Had a wonderful time up in Virginia. Got to see a mass of nothing, uh, as Joe has joked about several times. It has just been a, a, a great pleasure to be there to see uh, the Shenandoah Valley and all the awesome examples of God's creation throughout that. Uh, to visit with the saints that meet in Harrisonburg, a wonderful church there uh, off Covenant Drive. We had such a good time with them, but truly nothing's quite like home. It's so good to be back here with you all. Uh, and I, I hope um, as we spend this time together that we will not only be able to um, grow closer to one another, having had time separated apart, but also to grow closer to God. That's truly what our purpose is this morning. Um, is to, to come and study from His Word, to come and spend time steeped in, in His teaching. And I apologize, I thought I had this thing turned on whenever I came in. Apparently I didn't, so we should be good now. To, to spend time in His Word and to, to grow closer to Him. And I, I wonder sometimes if it's not possible for us to lose sight of that. Uh, there are so many rich blessings that come from being in the family of Christ. Uh, and John has done an excellent job this morning re reminding us of that in his collection talk, that, that there are great blessings that come just from being in a family, but they come from Christ. And sometimes we can, let, we, we can lose sight of the forest because of the trees, and we can take our eyes off of where it belongs. We truly have great blessing here because of what Christ has done for us. And I want to kind of focus our thoughts today upon that. Um, before we get into John, I want to ask you just to think back in your lives. When was it or who was it uh, that first introduced you, that you first heard about Jesus from? Who was it that did that? When did that happen? Maybe you're like me. You were born into a family that, that already knew Christ and that was following Him and kind of through osmosis, you just kind of see him. He, he was a part of your life from as far back as you can remember. You don't really remember a time when you, when you first heard about Him. He just always was a part of your life. It's a great blessing. Maybe you're like some of you that have been introduced to Him by someone else. You weren't raised in that, but someone told you about Christ. And you come to learn about what He has done, and, and you came to follow Him. That's an exceptional blessing as well. How was it that you first heard about Him? I just want you to think about that for a second. And I hope that as you think about that, it brings up feelings of thankfulness. How blessed am I that I have heard about Christ? That I have heard what He has done for me? How has that changed my life? What I want to talk about this morning is I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about evangelism. In Acts chapter 10... In verses 34 through 43, I want to read just a moment to you about the good news of Jesus, the good news of His life and His death and His resurrection, and the fact that Christ uh, and, and God des desires that that not, be, that not be held up to just a few short people, but rather that be opened up to the souls of the world. Listen to what, he, what Peter says in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. 
I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears Him and does what is right is welcome to Him. The word which He sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee. After baptism was John proclaimed, you know of Jesus of Nazareth how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he would become visible not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Peter, when we think about who he's talking to here, as he goes in, into the, the land of Caesarea, he is. Uh, there, there's been this vision given to Cornelius, and, and he is now taking this message out to the world. And he's revealing that God wants everyone to know about what He has done. And it makes me pause to consider in my own life, and I hope that you will pause to consider in yours as well, how seriously do I take the commandments of God to evangelize? We're people of the book. We're people who, who say, look, we, we need to speak where the Bible speaks. Be silent where the Bible's silent. If it says it, we do it. But what about when it comes to evangelism? How seriously do we take that? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gave the charge to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that He commanded. In Mark chapter 16, in verse 15, He said, to go into all the world and preach to every creature. Are we taking the message of the gospel of Christ to the lost? Are we taking it to the people who need it? I hope that as we consider some of the things today, that God's Word will spur our hearts on to greater evangelism in our lives. And I want us to consider a few things about evangelism today and to remember some very, I think, important points when it comes to evangelism because I think there's a lot of things that stop evangelism in our lives and and that's what I hope to try to overcome this morning. You see, we look at evangelism sometimes and make it this great overcomplicated process in which we need to know the answer to every question that's going to be brought up, questions that are hard and difficult, sometimes questions that are even scary. People can come up with these mind-bending thoughts, and I don't know how to answer those, and what do I do? Well, I guess I just don't do anything. I'm not an evangelist. Well, what I want us to think about today is how we can evangelize like Christ. And I want us to see how when Christ evangelized, it was nothing like some of the fears that we create in our minds. In fact, a lot of times it was simply a conversation. Like the conversation He had with a woman gathered around a well in Samaria. In John chapter 4, I want you to read with me just the first 26 verses of this chapter. And think about some of the things that happen in Jesus' life as he talks with this woman. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, 
And he had passed through Samaria. So he had come to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you know the gift of God, or if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go, to, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When that one comes, He will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. I think it's important for us to get a little bit of backstory as to what's going on as we consider the way that Jesus is evangelizing, as Jesus is having this conversation with the woman. Number one... John chapter 3 records before this that Jesus and His disciples have gone into the land of Judea. Now I want you just to consider where these places are at. The land of Judea is going to be down here. Um, it, it, could, it encompasses a wide area, but the area of Jerusalem and Jericho certainly would be a part of this. And we know that, that they are there and they are baptizing many people. In fact, they're baptizing more than the disciples of John the Baptist had baptized. And so there's very good possibility that they are actually down near Jericho, down near the Jordan River, where John had also been doing his baptizing. Um, during this time, because of Jesus' success, he's starting to, to grow uh, in popularity. The Pharisees have heard of what's going on, that he's making many, many disciples. Many people are coming to him for baptism. Jesus chooses this time to leave this area, and he heads north to Galilee. And to do so, he's going to pass through Samaria here in the, in the smaller circle. Now, this is interesting because this is not something that most Jews would have done. Most Jews would have elected to go a different route because they had a great hatred for the Samaritans. When you think back in, in to the history of the Israelites, during the time of the divided kingdom, 
When the kingdom is split and the ten tribes of the north join together and two tribes of the south become Judah, you have Israel going and making their capital no longer... uh, uh, They make their capital in Samaria and they move their worship almost immediately from Jerusalem up into the land of Samaria, uh, into Shechem, and they almost immediately they instill idol worship. This is a, very quickly what happens during this split. And so the, the people of, of Judah, they, they looked at this, and this is wrong. This is, this is not what God has told us to do. And then to compound things, because of their wickedness, there is this great uh, captivity that takes place when Assyria comes in, and, and they, take, they, they kill a lot of them, and they take a lot of them captive. And the ones that they take captive, they begin to intermarry. With, these, uh, with, with their captors and with the foreigners that they are placed in their lands. And so when finally you have people coming back into their land, they're, they're intermarried and other generations have come and gone. And to the Jews, they look at these people and they see all of this history. They see people who, who left them. They see people who went and worshipped idols, even though they worshipped idols themselves. They see people who moved the temple to a new place They see people who are no longer full-blooded Jews. In fact, when they look at them, they really don't see people. And that's why they call them dogs. That's why they treat them like less than people. And that's why if you're a Jew and you're going up north to Galilee, you don't go through Samaria. You cross the Jordan River and you go up on the other side. That's how much you despise the Samaritans. But Jesus chooses to go through Samaria. And I want you to notice that as we read verse 6, it says that he was wearied from his journey. Now this is something that I think deserves more time than we can really give today. But John does an excellent job during, throughout his whole gospel of focusing on these little aspects of Jesus' life to show us one important truth, and that is he was human. He focuses on the humanity of Christ and he also emphasizes the deity of Christ. In the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word took on flesh. And throughout his gospel, he's showing us what that means to have the Word, to have Jesus taking on flesh. He was human and he became weary on this journey. This distance that we have from from the area of Judea up to Samaria, if you notice on our little key up here is about this is about 20 miles, depending on where he came from, we're looking at anywhere from 20 to maybe 25 miles that they had to travel. And if it's down in, Jer- in Jericho, that's all uphill. That's not just strolling across flat ground. He has to climb. Jericho is down in the Jordan Valley. In Jerusalem and Samaria, they're up in the hill country. They have to climb mountains to get to where they're going. They're, this is a strenuous journey and, and it's very likely that this would have taken several hours for them to accomplish. And so by the time they get there, Jesus is wore out. And it's time to eat. The disciples, they go into town. And this woman, she comes out to the well. And I think, again, we see interesting things about Christ. This man has walked so much. It's time to eat. He can't even go in. He says, I'm just going to sit here by the well. The disciples go in. It shows us a little something about what he's dealing with. He's tired. Imagine he's thirsty. He's got to be hungry. You know, we just traveled back from Massanutten. It took us about eight or nine hours. 
when you get home and I'm tired, I've been in a car, I've been driving, walking, I've been in a car driving, and I'm tired, and I'm, I'm ready to eat, and there's work to do, but when you, it, when, when you go through all that, when you've traveled all day, the one thing that you want to do is nothing. I want to do nothing but find a place to lay down and rest, and I don't want to be bothered, I don't want the boys to come in the room, I don't want to be asked to do anything, I just want to relax. Jesus is in the perfect state to say, I don't want to deal with anything. And this woman shows up. And I want us to notice how Jesus evangelizes at a time like this. Number one, Jesus begins by just making an effort. How easy would it have been for him to just sit here and watch her draw her water and walk away? Have you ever, uh, you know, when you go out to eat, a lot of times we go out to eat and, and we haven't had some great big journey, so we're usually feeling pretty good. Maybe we're a little bit hangry, but, but other than that, we're, we're not in that bad a shape. We go out to eat, we sit down at the restaurant, our waitress or waiter comes out and they take our order and they, they come back with our drink and they give you your drink and, and, and what do we do? Maybe we, we go as far as to thank them for that, but by most accounts, we just go back to ignoring them. We don't even remember what their name is. Just take our food. We're here for something else. We're not here for you, and we're going to enjoy ourselves. But that's not what Jesus does. See, we are so good at making excuses in our lives. Well, the, the, the timing is not right. I don't feel the best. This is, this is not the, the, the... I don't know the person that well. I don't know if we're, we're going to be able to, to connect. And we do that, and we ignore opportunities that are given to us on a daily basis to do exactly what Jesus is here, doing here. Oftentimes we fail just to even make an effort to try and evangelize. And Jesus is so far from His best, He, he has every opportunity to do just those very things. It's very likely that He probably is a feeble man. The Scriptures tell us He was not stately. He was not something to behold. He, he, he wasn't some impressive man of men. The same journey that, that He has walked, His disciples have walked as well, and they're able to go into town and get food. Jesus says, I, am, I have to sit by the well. He could have said, I'm just too tired. I'm too, I'm, I'm too hungry. I'm too weak. He could have said, you know, society really would not approve of this. It's a Samaritan, remember. Let's not even look at the Samaritans. On top of that, it's a female Samaritan. I am a Jewish male. I have no reason to talk to her. But instead, he does something that each and every one of us can do. And that is what is fascinating to me when you think of the real character of Jesus. There is a lot of things that Jesus did that I just simply can't do. Jesus turned water into wine. I can't do that. Jesus walked on water. He fed thousands with just a little bit. Jesus did so many miraculous things that I can't do. And when this woman came, what could Jesus have done? He could have made water come spewing out of this well. He could have performed some great miracle. He could have done so many things that I couldn't do. But he did the one thing that each and every one of us in this room has the ability to do. He talked to her. You know, I look at the amazing abilities that God has gifted us with. I've seen people who can, not, not on accident, I've done it on accident before. I've seen people who can regularly just shoot from the, from the half-court line and swish that basketball shot over and over and over again. And I'm like, wow. I've seen people climb mountains. 
I've seen people run at great speeds. I've seen people with amazing gifts. God doesn't call us to do any one of those amazing feats. He says, just talk. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's exactly what we see Jesus do here. He uses one of the simplest human abilities that we all learn at such a small age. He says, just use that. We can learn so much from the example of Christ just to make an effort and tell someone about what He has done. Another thing that I see in Christ is He goes where the fish are. I know there are some here that like to fish. Maybe some like to fish more than others. Richard talks off a lot about fishing with his friend Kevin. Uh, I, I knew a guy when I, where I used to work. He was, I, I think he worked as a, as a hobby and fished for a job, really. It was his, his, his desire for things. He had one of the best bass boats, and he had all the lure. And I want you to think about a guy like that. I want you to think about a guy that has spent time and put great money and effort into getting everything he needs to be fishing. He's got the very best poles and, and, and reels, and he's went and he's bought every lure that you can think of. And on his bass boat, he's got every bell and whistle. He's got things that tell you the temperature of the water and the depth, and if there's fish here, and, and he knows. He knows if you want to catch a spotted bass, you use this lure at this time of the year, and, and you don't fish over here, you've got to go over there. He knows where all the spots are. I want you to think about a guy like that. I want you to think about that guy as he gets out to go fishing and he leaves all that stuff behind. And he grabs his little Zebco 33, and he goes out with his little bear hook with nothing on it, and sits by the side of the road and drops it in a muddy little puddle. And then just complains because nothing's biting. Can you believe it? I'm afraid sometimes we kind of act that way. Sometimes we act like that. We, we, we ask ourselves, why aren't people coming to Christ? Why aren't people listening uh, to, to, to the gospel and, and coming? And why isn't this church building just filled with people? Why isn't it just piling out the doors? I ask myself that. The next question that always needs to be asked is, am I taking the gospel to the people? See, we love to try to question, why don't people come to the gospel? But am I taking the gospel to the people? Do we look for opportunities to do that? Do we look for opportunities to evangelize? And I, I want our children to know that, that when I speak about evangelism, that doesn't, that doesn't preclude you. You're included in that. You have every opportunity to do that. Whenever you're at school, you have every opportunity to tell your friends and to show your friends, Jesus loves me. And He loves you too. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. You should never be afraid. You should never be afraid to let people know that. But what about when we go to work? You know what do they say when you go into the workplace? Two things you don't bring up, religion and politics. We don't talk about those things in the workplace. We have every opportunity, though, because you know that the people that you work with likely spend more time with you than they do with their own families. We spend more time at work than we do at home, by and large. That means we have great opportunities to maybe influence somebody else, somebody to, to come and know a little bit more about Christ, simply just showing them the love of Christ in our lives through being a servant through being willing and ready to always let them know that Jesus loves them too. Jesus has done so much in my life, and He loves you, and He has done so much for you. Have you ever heard about that? What about at home? 
Do we use the opportunities that have come from just, just living in the world that we live in? We have friends. We have neighbors. Do we create opportunities for our neighbors to know about Jesus? Do we even know who our neighbors are? Have we taken enough time to get to know them to be able to just talk to them about what Christ has done. That's exactly what Jesus does. He goes to where the fish are and He creates opportunities to tell them about what He is, what He has done. And we should never be tempted to say, well, you know, I would do those things, but I, just, I, I really can't relate with these people. I can't relate with my neighbors. My, my co-workers, they're, some of them are old and I'm young. or so I, they're young and I'm old and we, just, we don't really connect and so I, I'm not sure that, that I'm the person to do this. Jesus should not have been able to relate to this Samaritan woman. There is nothing about this Samaritan woman that says you should be able to go and talk and have a conversation with her. But you know what the truth is? Whether we're young or old, whether we're male or female, whether we're rich or poor, no matter what our backgrounds are, everyone relates through Christ. Christ is, is over all. He is in all. He is our Creator. Everyone relates through Christ. So when Satan tries to tempt us to make excuses why that this won't work, just see through it as what it is. It's a lie. We need to go to where the fish are at. We need to make an effort to talk with them. And we need to keep it simple. I think this is probably one of the biggest reasons people have a hard time with evangelism is because they've convinced themselves that it's something that it's not. Notice Jesus doesn't just dive into some great big sermon. He doesn't pull out His Sermon on the Mount here and say, oh, here's a woman at the well. Let me tell you all the things that I spoke about over my, my, my several years of ministry. And He also doesn't tell some great parable either. You notice that? He, it's, it's really simple. Even though, yes, the things that He talks about, they're... they're kind of difficult, and she even misunderstands some of them. He doesn't go into some great, big, long discussion with her. He essentially just does one thing. He preaches Jesus to her. If you noticed in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew that the, the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. You know what He just did? He told, him, he told this woman who he was, the gift of God. And he told this woman what he offered, living water. At its very core, that's all evangelism is. It's telling people, telling the world who Jesus is and what he offers. How many people get discouraged today because they I, I, I can't teach. I, I don't know how to, to do that. I don't know how to teach people these, these, these great hard problems that, that arise when people start thinking about the Scripture. I don't know how to show them all of the answers that they're going to look for. And so we, we, we get discouraged and we do nothing. I want you to think about another scenario. I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives have had a salesman knock on our door. It's one of the, the lovely things of living in this country. you got somebody knocking on your door going to try to sell you something. I want you to think about two different salesmen come and knock on the door. The first one knocks on the door and you open it and the first words out of his mouth is, look at this great product that I want to show you today. And I want you to think of a second salesman. Knocks on the door and he comes to the door and says, I would like to tell you about my, con my company, about how it was created, about the founder of it, about all of our bylaws. I would like to tell you about the times where it has changed uh, mission statements along the way and I want to tell you Oh yeah, that we've got something I want to sell. 
guarantee you, probably both those guys are getting a door slammed in their face, but I guarantee you the second one is getting it slammed a lot faster. Sometimes we treat evangelism like that. I want to tell you every single thing that the Bible has to tell. We're going to sit down and we're going to study for 25 hours. And people say, I don't think I've got time for that. Jesus doesn't do that here. He keeps it very simple. What is it that God is offering? And how has He done it? Who is He? He's the Son of God. What has He done? He became a man. And He lived. He lived a life that's very similar to yours and mine. He was killed on a cross. He was resurrected on the third day. He has gone to prepare a place in heaven for us. And you know what He can do for you? He can give you life. He can give you life and He can wash away your sins and he can, he can give you hope in hopeless situations. That's the gospel of Christ. And what did that take? About 20 seconds? Preaching Jesus isn't complicated. Preaching Jesus simply involves speaking with someone about who Jesus is and what He has done. And yes, more teaching has to follow. We certainly have to remember in Matthew 28 when He said, go and make disciples, He told them that teaching was going to follow. But making disciples, simply, a disciple is simply someone who follows somebody. It's, a, it's someone who follows a teacher. So when He says, go and make disciples, He's saying, tell people who I am so that they can follow Me. When they choose to follow Me by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then teach them to observe all that I've commanded. We get the cart before the horse so oftentimes. We're going to teach Him everything that He commanded before we ever teach them why they should follow Him because they don't know who He is. We need to tell people who Christ is and what He has done. And yes, we need to recognize there's going to be times like with this very occasion when things get a little bit difficult. And things don't go maybe exactly how we plan them to go. And in those times, we need to stick to it. We need to be steadfast. If our purpose is telling others about Jesus, we won't be sidelined whenever there's other shortcomings that come into play. When you think about the text in verse 20, Jesus has been doing exactly what we've been talking about. And what does she do? She says, I don't know where to worship at. You people say it's over here and we say it's over there. And what am I supposed to do with that? We might call this today, we might call this deflection. Oftentimes, when a conversation gets uncomfortable for people, that's the first thing they do. I don't like the, the, the fact that you're talking about this, and I feel like I'm kind of the center of attention, and I really am uncomfortable with this, so we're going to push this off somewhere else. Let's see and change the subject somehow and talk about something else. Jesus doesn't allow the conversation to stray off course, however. Notice, He guides them right back. He, he talks to her about her question, but the whole time guides her right back to who He is and what He offers. He is steadfast. I remember an example that, uh, of this from, from when I was younger. We were in a carpentry program, and the teacher, after the fall of Saddam Hussein, and, and, and there was so much, all this you know, stabilization uh, that was happening in Iraq, and, and he said, I want you all to watch this video of a statue being torn down. Okay. I don't know why we're watching this in carpentry class, but, but we're all watching these guys, and there's this guy, and I remember his arms, and I'm sure I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it just seems like his arms were like twice as big as my head. This guy was huge, and he had a, a sledgehammer in his hand. It looked more like a, a little toothpick, and he was banging away on that statue. 
And he was hitting all over. And you could tell he was swinging hard and he would hit and chunks would fly off. There was a guy on the other side of the statue, probably not, I thought, the safest place to be standing. He has his, his sledgehammer, and he's not a big guy. He's, he's a little skinny little guy, and he's got that sledgehammer, and he strains to swing it. But every time, he hits in the exact same place over and over and over, and that statue crumbled on his side. This other guy got tired and gave up and gave the sledgehammer to somebody else. That statue came tumbling down on this, on this skinny, frail guy's side because he stuck with it, because he was focused. He knew why he was doing this, and he knew what he needed to do. And there's going to be so many times in our, in our evangelism when we, we feel like we know what we're doing. Like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to go and I'm going to preach Jesus. And then something comes up and we just get completely sidelined and off track and, and, and we don't know answers and we get discouraged and we quit. That's not what Jesus did. We need to remember, whenever we are evangelizing with people, that it's okay not to jump ahead. Now, I remember there was a guy that I, I was talking with at work one time, and I brought up Jesus Christ. And the first, I mean, I, didn't, I, I might have said his name. I didn't get very far at all into our conversation. And he said, let me talk about the Rev- book of Revelation. <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> let's not. Not right now, not today. Let's talk about this. And he didn't want, no, no, I want to talk about the book of Revelation. And he was dead set and we, we didn't get to go anywhere. We talked about the book of Revelation. That absolutely served no purpose for either one of us. We need to stay steadfast. We said, look, this is what we're here to talk about. And yes, we can talk about those things. But we need to understand Christ before we understand the prophecies and, and, and the, the great victory that is described in the book of Revelation. We need to first understand who Christ is and what He has done. Let's start there. And let's find commonality in Him. You know, another mistake we sometimes make is not just starting with Christ, but we want to start with sin. We want to go to someone and say, look at all of the deep sin that has been this crept into your life. And we want to fix all of those problems before we ever introduce Christ into someone's life. Are we going to tackle sin when we talk to, to people in the world? Yes, we have to. And when we get to that point, we're going to remember passages like Proverbs 15, verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Do we do that? Do we think very often about how we're going to answer somebody? Because from the wicked mouth, from the mouth of the wicked, pours forth evil. Boy, that that has described me in the past. I've I've got an answer to everything. I don't even have to think about whenever somebody asks me a question. I'm going to throw it out there. And how many times I wish I had not said what I just said. We're going to be thinking about that and we're going to study how to answer someone because we're trying to lead them to Christ, not lead them to us, not lead them to me as the source. And so that brings up another thing, and that is we need to be very direct with people. When Jesus spoke with this woman, He didn't beat around the bush, did He? He said, I who speak to you. She said, I know there's a Christ coming. I know there's a Messiah. And He said, it's me. I who speak to you am He. And yes, He had laid the groundwork for that. He had done some teaching already with her to get her prepared for what we're talking about. And we need to do the same thing. As I said, I can't just go up to somebody. We're walking or driving home and I see maybe somebody stumbling around the street. They've had a rough night. You can tell they've been drinking all night long. And I just can't pull a car over, go up to them and say, drunkenness is a sin and you need to cut that out. You're going to go to hell. You've got to stop that. You need to be baptized. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that that sort of mentality today 
will be awarded with a round of applause. Bravo, preacher man, you were bold in speaking the truth. I don't believe that's boldness. I believe that's bullheadedness. I believe that that is discouraging. And in many cases, it doesn't bring people to repentance. It brings people to anger and it brings people to hatred and pain. So we need to be direct, but we have to be helpful. We must remember that our words need to be seasoned with salt. We need to speak and give graciousness to the listener. So how was Jesus bold and direct and also helpful? One, He had an objective. His objective was to reach this woman. And as we'll see in a few minutes, to reach others. When we think about passages like Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What's the objective there? It's not just to tell people about their sin. It's to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5 through 6, listen to what Paul says to the Colossians there. He says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. What was increasing in fruit? It wasn't the message of all the sin that was going on in Colossae. He says it was the gospel that was increasing in fruit. It was when they understood the grace of God in truth, when they understood what God had done, when they understood who Jesus was, that had changed these people and had increased in them fruitfulness for the Lord. Our objective ought to be to help people understand that there is nothing that can help them the way that Jesus can help them. There is nothing that can save them the way Jesus can save them. And so we need to be willing as we talk to them to also ask questions like, do you, do you understand what we're talking about? Do you understand that as we talked about these things, do, do, is there anything that you are, are, are having a hard time understanding? Is there anything that you would like to better understand yourself about Jesus Christ and what He's done? We need to be able to show them in Scripture. I think this is another mistake we sometimes make is we've done so good at memorizing the Bible, and that's a great thing. We need to be willing to do that. We also need to be able to show them where the Bible says that. Because I'm not trying to teach someone to believe my gospel. It's not what I say. It's not what I believe. It's not what I think. It's what God's Word says. That's the truth. And we also should not be afraid to give people the opportunity to obey that gospel and to obey it right now. I think sometimes we leave these conversations kind of open-ended. Talk about Christ, talk about what He's done, and it becomes a, a conversation of intellect, but not a conversation of action. But to invite people, do you, you understand this? Do you, you see in Scripture, we've talked about these things, what Christ has done. What do you want to do with that? Do you want to maybe learn more about how you can obey that? Because the opportunity is always there. The opportunity is always available. This is how Jesus evangelized. This is what we see Him doing with this woman at the well. And what I want us to continue reading now is what this produced. In verse 39, it says, From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified 
He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking Him to stay with them, and He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of His word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus' conversation, not His great sermon, not His intricate teaching, His conversation with a Samaritan woman produced so much fruit from the people that learned from her. There's a song we sometimes sing, I don't think I've ever heard it led here, called The Apples in a Seed. And the point of that song, more or less, is you can cut an apple open and you can count all the seeds that are in the apple. You might have five or ten seeds inside this apple. But you can never cut a seed open and determine how many apples it will produce when planted in good soil. We don't know the effect that just one little good seed planted in the heart of someone that wants to know more. We have no idea what that could lead to. Telling our our waiter or waitress at a restaurant, the person, the checkout line, the bank teller, our neighbor, do you know who Jesus is? Would you be happy to talk with me about Him? Because I would love to talk with you about Him. We need to have the vision that Jesus had. One last verse, verse 35. Jesus speaking to His disciples said, Do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. We need to follow His example. We need to share in His vision. We need to tell others about Him. John chapter 1 tells us, That in the beginning, Jesus was with God. He was creating everything. Nothing was created without Him. And so you know what that means? That means you and I are His creations. What do we know about Him today? Would we like to know more? Would we like to know more? If we would, I would start by saying, understanding you are His creation, you need to know what He did for you. He became like His creation. And He came to this earth not to rule over it. He came to serve it. To serve His own creation. John 19 goes on to tell us how He did that through His crucifixion. When He was nailed to the cross and died. And chapter 20 tells us that He overcame death, defeated it, and was raised to life. He died for you. He died for me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says He did that because of the sin that we committed, not the sins that He had. He was sinless. But He did it because of our sins and so that we could have hope and we could have life. And He lives again. And He lives now, still serving. As our King, still serving His people. Interceding for us. Having been the high priest, making the sacrifice for us. That's what He offers. He offers life. He offers love. He offers hope. We accept what He has to offer. This morning, I encourage you, That as we get ready to sing this song of invitation, there's a great day coming that you will think about what Christ offers you. And if there is some way that we can help you to come to know Him better and to follow Him, would you please come forward and let that be known. We will talk about that as we stand and sing this song of invitation.